Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. What's up, Contrast? Anybody else thankful that Trey finally asked Allison to share her story? Come on, that was amazing. I could just say amen and we could leave and be so encouraged. You know, I I just will say, like, getting to sit here and reminiscing a little bit to when Three Creeks was in this stage, this, like, pre-launch, launch, family phase, and I just want to make sure that you understand that what you have is very special and you shouldn't wish it away. You shouldn't we want to get to a building. Like, just wait a minute. Just enjoy every single time that you guys get together because this is, this is special and sweet. I, I'm very thankful to get to be here. Uh, like Jerry mentioned, my name is Joel. I get to be the pastor at Three Creeks, which is in Gehanna. And Movement Church, which is in Hilliard, planted us in 2018. And then we together helped send you guys here. And we just hope it keeps going. And I think in principle, I've said to my church a hundred times, like, we believe in starting new churches. And then now I'm being here, I want to go back and yell at them again and say, no, listen, we believe in starting new churches because it's so cool. I'm just very blessed to get to be here, and I hope that perhaps uh, you'll be blessed in return as I uh, share with you what God, uh, what Trey told me to share. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, What God God has put on my heart through this text in the book of Matthew. So, question for you, and you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to answer out loud, but just think about the answer. Uh, If you did, and I'm going to look up here, so I'm not going to make eye contact so nobody feels uncomfortable. If you did get the vaccine, and if you did put in your name for Vaximillion, and if you were one of the people that were checking the results to see if you won, question for you, if you won a million dollars, would you have taken it? No questions asked. Would you have taken it? Like if, if they call you, you're the winner, you get, well, we all know it's like 600000 but Jerry's like, yes, that's correct. Uh, if you, for the sake of the question, were offered a million dollars, would you take it? No questions asked. I was, a couple weeks ago, when all the Vaximillion stuff was coming out, uh, I was with a group of guys, and I, there was one person there that I had never met him before. There's two people that I know, one person I didn't know, and this came up, vaccines, Vaximillion, whatever. And I just said to the table, I said, listen, if I won, my wife put me in this thing, if I won, I'm not, I'm not sure I would take it. I don't know. Because... If I read the Bible, like the responsibility that would come with one million dollars, being responsible for a million dollars, I don't know if I want to take that on. That's a, that's a significant responsibility if I'm, if I'm viewing money through the lens of Jesus and the Bible. <laughs> and this one guy that was in the, in the uh, circle, he didn't know me, didn't even know what I do. And he's like, well, that's an interesting thought, but I definitely would take it. And I'm like, you know, yeah, that's, that's your, you know, you can make your decision. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know that I would. And I don't know. I wasn't offered a million dollars, so I can't say for sure. 
But I have been thinking, would I have taken it had it been offered to me? And I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Like, I'm not sure that I would because of what, what comes with that. And I know that that person left that meeting with me thinking that I was a fool. Like, there's no question. You're thinking right now. You're a fool. And I just want to humbly propose that maybe he was the fool. And maybe, I'm, try, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but maybe you're the fool. Maybe, I'm just saying, maybe we should think about this before we just shoot off an answer. Because do you know what comes with a million dollars, or, or any amount of money for that matter? Maybe, just, just try this on for size, maybe we've been brainwashed a little bit. Because when I say that someone is well off, what do you think they have? A lot of money. Or if somebody makes good money, that means they probably have a lot of it, right? If I say somebody is really doing well for themselves, you think <laughs> they landed some job, paying them more, you know, and you guys understand, Jesus never talked like that. Like, he never said that if you had more, you were well off, or you were making good money. Jesus talked about money a lot, but it was never like if you had more, that was good, and if you don't have any, that was bad. He never said that, but we think that way. We think that way. Like, if you win, you win money. And it's like, wait a minute, Jesus never structured it that way. So maybe, maybe we've been brainwashed to think that more is better, and I just want to I'm going I'm to go to the scripture here in a second and show you that that's not exactly what Jesus said about money. And this is, a, this is really heavy to tackle in a 25-minute message, like shifting our whole paradigm, like, no, no, I don't want any more money. Like, that, that's a lot to try to tackle in a short amount of time, but maybe we can chip away and maybe we can become a little bit more like Jesus in our thoughts towards money. Money, not bad. Money, I would say not good. Money is just money. In the same way that a chainsaw is just a chainsaw, right? Chainsaw, is it good or bad? Well, it depends on who's handling it, right? It depends on who is handling it. And so the question is, if you're a Christ follower, are we handling it in a good, in a good way? Y'all are going through Matthew uh, you're the whole book of Matthew, right? For the next 19 years, you'll be in the book of Matthew. You're in chapter 6, and we're in the middle of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon in history. It's the most quoted sermon in history. It's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever gave. When Gandhi, who is n was not a Christian as far as I know, uh, when he you know, read and studied the Sermon on the Mount, he was quoted as saying that if my nation and your nation could come together under the teachings of Jesus that he gave at the Sermon on the Mount, not only will our nations cease to fight, but we will solve every problem in the world. That's a heavy quote from somebody that doesn't even believe that Jesus was God. He's acknowledging that the wisdom is deep in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, I'm, I'm sure Trey and other people have shared this with you, but it was, it was essentially given on the hills of the Sea of Galilee. I had a chance to go there a couple years ago, uh, it's not really a mount. I think that it should be renamed Sermon on the Medium-Sized Hill because it's just kind of, you know, it's like the person who named it like, like Snow Trails is a ski resort. It's like, well, that's a hill. We're in Ohio. You know, it's like, eh. 
It's a sermon on the medium-sized hill, thousands of people listening, and Jesus offers us Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, and some people were writing it down, Matthew being one of them. And so what I want to do is I want to read you, I think, six verses today. Jesus talking about money, and then uh, I want to go through kind of each verse one or two at a time and just explain maybe what Jesus meant. You know, before I read this and before you read anything else in the book of Matthew, you ought to consider, you ought to consider this one thought before you read the words of Jesus. And it's, uh, I have conversations from time to time with people who say that they're struggling with something in the Bible, right? Like a, a verse or an issue or a topic. You're like, oh, man, how do, I, how do I reconcile with that? Like, it doesn't, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that. And I just want to acknowledge that that's, that's fine. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to think about things. I think God wants us to think about things. But somebody will bring up an issue, and I'll say, you know, we'll talk about the issue. Because the issue is important. The issue is important to them. The issue is important to God, for sure. And it's important to me because of that. And so we talk about the issue. But, it, but it's important to come back at the end of these conversations when you're trying to figure out, you know, what this is saying. It's a really kind of simple question. But, like, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Like, do you believe that he literally rose from the dead? Like, they, 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 they killed him, and he went into a tomb, and he rose from the dead. You've heard about this, right, on Easter? Like, do you believe that he actually did that? Because if he actually did that, then it would be wise for us to listen to everything that Jesus says. Somebody say amen to that. It would, it would be very wise for us to look at the words of the person who said he was going to rise from the dead and actually pulled it off. No man can do this. So it has to be God. And so before you read the words of Jesus, you've got to think to yourself, Did I, do I believe this person literally rose from the dead? If you do believe that, then it's very wise for us to listen to everything he says. And if you don't believe that, well, then who cares what he says? Right? Like, if, if you don't believe he rose from the dead, well, then why? So essentially, like, why so much struggle? I struggle, too. And I, I, I'm looking at the world around me, and I'm reading this, going, like, man, I struggle with that. But if you boil it down to that one question, do I believe that he rose from the dead? That means that he is God. It would be wise for us to look at what he said, even if it rubs us the wrong way, no matter what it costs. All right, so a couple verses that Jesus wrote in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. I'll read through 24, and then I'll go back through and just try to explain a little bit about what Jesus was meaning. In verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and thieves can break in and steal. But instead, store your treasures in heaven. Moths and rust cannot destroy treasures in heaven. Thieves do not break in and steal treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Verse 22, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for the whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And this is a verse for the Christian in the room. 
If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. They're against each other. You can't serve God and at the same time be enslaved to money. These are the words of Jesus, the one who I believe rose from the dead. Verse 19, let me just kind of go through a couple at a time. And if you're taking notes in one of these sweet journals, uh, I think that would be a good idea. Verse 19 and 20 says, Don't store up treasure on earth, but instead store up treasure in heaven. Because if you store it up on earth, it's going to rust. It's, moths are going to eat it. Thieves are going to come and steal it and destroy it. It's essentially, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move hands a lot if it's on the earth. But if you store treasures in heaven... Moss won't eat it. Rust won't destroy it. Thieves can't steal it. In other words, Jesus is saying, do not doom yourself to a life of frustration and emptiness by storing all of your treasures on the earth. In 1992, which was a long time ago, but I still think the principle remains, there there was this survey in the Reader's Digest, and they, they asked people in like the twenty to $25,000 uh, salary income bracket, right? They don't make a lot of money, twenty dollars to $25,000. They asked these people, what would you need to make so that all of your American dreams could come true? And they all said the answer, and they averaged it out, and the answer was they all said that they needed about $54,000, and all of their American dreams could come true. And then they went and they surveyed people that make between ninety-five dollars and $105,000. And they said, what would you need to make all of your American dreams come true? And they said, an average of $192,000 would make all of their American dreams come true. And you probably could have guessed that that's how it was going to go because that is the way that we think and that is the world that we live in. And you in your life, you already know that's true, don't you? where you want something and then you get that and then you just on accident want something more? You're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. Can I get another raise, please? And there's this, you know, essentially this life of frustration and emptiness and it's just this rat race. We just want more and more. The more you want, they're basically in this article was saying like everybody wants 200% of what they have, Right? (laughs) So don't doom yourself to a life where you're just trying to store treasures up for yourself. Instead, store them in heaven. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about when he says, store it in heaven? Isn't it interesting that, think about it, you think in terms of eternity and heaven and God and what's going on in the world, the only wealth we keep forever is the wealth that we give away. The only money, the only wealth that is attributed to our name forever is the money and the wealth that we give away. When, when, um, when we give to God's work, when we give to missionaries, when we give to charities, when we give to churches, this is the, this is the only money, the only wealth that we, will be, that we will keep forever because moths can't destroy it if we give it away. We've done well with it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't steal it anymore because we've done what we're supposed to do. We've been generous. We've given it away. I like to think about it a little bit like uh, a funnel. You guys have maybe had a gas can, five gallons, red. Lawnmower over here, got to get the gas from the gas can into the lawnmower. You need a funnel. 
right? So you get this little funnel, and maybe it's red, maybe it's white, I don't know, and, and you stick it in the hole of the gas you know, chamber of the lawnmower, and I like to think about it like God is the giver of the money or the gas or the blessing, whatever it is, the things. And where it's supposed to go is the lawnmower, but you and I are the funnel. We are not the end uh, destination of what God wants to, like the money that we get. We're not the end destination. We're the funnel. We're the conduit through which God wants to use it to bless other people. And think about it this way. Like, what if, if God was, you know, pouring this money or blessing or possessions into your life, and we chose as the funnel to say, let's store up treasure. Let's store up gas here on earth in our funnel. Let's just keep a little bit for ourselves. Eventually what happens is the person who owns the funnel goes, this thing isn't working. This thing is broken. It's not working how it's supposed to work. It, the, the gas is like coming over the side. It's killing my grass. But, but the funnel that works is the one that kind of takes what God gives us and channels it, it channels, we, we just let it channel through us. We don't see our bank accounts as our money. We see it as what God has given us to redistribute to other things and to other people. This, these are the words of Jesus. If you, if you want to store treasures up on earth, you're not going to keep it. It's going to get destroyed. But if you, if you give it away, you keep it forever. And then God says, wherever your treasure is, essentially wherever your money is going to, there the desires of your heart will also be. Which in the JTIV, which is the Joel Trainer International Version of the Bible, means I can tell what you love if I look at your credit card report. I can tell very quickly what you love the most. You can talk about what you love the most. I don't believe you until I see your credit card report. Let's see your Venmo transactions, all the emojis that you use. You love pizza. Wow. I can tell where you spend your money is, is that is how I can see the condition of your heart. I can tell what you love the most. And Jesus is saying, that's how you tell what you love the most. Where do you quickly want to spend or save your money? It's worth considering just for 15 seconds, where do you spend the most money? What, what is the most common transaction? What is the, when, you, when the money comes in, where's the first place that it goes to? I'd propose that that's what you love the most. Jesus gives this illustration about this eye and this body. Let me try to explain what he means. He says, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. What Jesus is saying is, is when you live a life of generosity, you become your generosity becomes infectious to other people. People see it as light. A lot of times, obviously, when, when Jesus is talking about the earth and earthly living versus heaven and kingdom living, eternal living, he often uses light versus darkness. And so he's saying, if you, if you obey what I'm saying in verses 19 and 20 and 21, this is you living this generous life where you're light to other people. Your whole body is light when you are generous and living heavenly kingdom-style living but if you're just keeping things for yourself, it's like your eye is unhealthy. You're living this hoarding life. 
and you're, you're full of darkness. And then for me, I mean, as a Christian, I'm looking at verse 20, at the end of verse 23 going like, this is the verse for me. If you, if you would consider yourself a Christ follower, I think maybe this is the verse of all of the verses for us. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Think about that for a second. If you're in here thinking that this message is for somebody else, that somebody else ought to be more generous, do you need me to read the verse again? I'm coming in here. I'm sitting in the car, going to go in here and talk about generosity. It's easy for me to think that I'm the light. Maybe you need some more light. And wait a minute. What if maybe, I I mean, I've got to look at my credit card report tonight. What do I love the most? This isn't, this message, this verse isn't necessarily for anybody else more than it is for me. See, as a Christian, what I'm trying to get to, and what my wife and I have, have tried to get to, we have lots of conversations about this, we try to get to this thing called the pinch point. When it comes to generosity, you guys know what the pinch point is? It's that money that makes you go, Whoa. you know what I'm saying? Like when, you, when, when you're prompted to give and it's like, Whoa. that would be, Can we even afford that? That's the pinch point that a Christian should try to get to when it comes to their finances and their generosity. If we we are giving to our church or to missionaries or to anybody for that matter with this like, yeah, I think we can afford that, then we haven't hit the pinch point yet. In the New Testament, when Jesus talks about giving, he never says 10%. He doesn't. He, he never makes really a rule or a law about it like there might be in the Old Testament. He just says, each of you should give whatever God has put on your heart and then do it cheerfully. But he gives these stories about people that give out of not their overflow or their excess, but out of almost nothing. He goes, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are all in and they get to the pinch point. If there's a rule for the Christian, I think C.S. Lewis says it best. And I just want to read you this quote. C.S. Lewis writes, here's the rule on giving as a Christian. He says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. That's that's the best way, I and mean, that's the rule I'm trying to live by. And I, I also understand, I, I just want to publicly, like in front of everybody, just acknowledge this thought that I know that I have and maybe you have too. If I give to Contrast Church, like if I give more than I'm even comfortable giving, what are they going to do with it? You know? Like, what are they going to do with it? It, be, it better count. And I would just warn myself and everybody against having that thought of thinking about what somebody else is going to do with it and just turn the question back on yourself and I just go back to you, no, 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 no. What are you going to do with it? What are, what are you going to do with it? Because God has given you every dollar that you have in your possession. And the question is not what will they do with it. Of course, be wise and think about it and, and give the things that are having an impact. But 
But before you start evaluating somebody else's expenditures, let's look at our own. Let's look at our own and go, wait a minute, am, am I being obedient? Am I, am I hitting the pinch point where I'm giving more than I can spare? Jesus concludes the whole thing by simply saying, you can't serve both God and money. You can't, you can't be a slave to one. and a, You can't love money and love God. You can't love God and love money at the same time. They're, they're kind of exclusive. You've got to pick one or the other. And I think the reason that it's really hard to get there is because I really think, at least this is the case for me, I really think that we think it's ours. I really think that, that the problem lies with, within our own heads of going, this is mine. Like, I have earned this. I worked for this. Somebody paid this to me. And we don't have this proper view of everything that we have is, is really God's to begin with. We are, we are just kind of a, we're a distributor. We're the funnel through which it's supposed to flow. It's actually not ours. We're just the ones who are supposed to hold it and then give it away somehow. Like if, if, you, if you had $10,000 that was yours and you gave it to me and said, I want you to use this. I want you to use it to make my name great. I want you to use it to promote my mission. And then you came back to me a year later and I'd spend it all on myself. You would sue me. You would literally in a court of law, you would sue me. And isn't that on accident what we might slip into if all this that God gives us, if we just use it on ourselves and we don't do anything with it to promote the mission of God? It's hard because we think it's ours. I'll just kind of close with this one uh, story that I, I, I needed God to show me this a few months ago. My, I have a, a, a daughter named Cooper. She's five. I have a son named Judah. He's three. And a daughter named Willow, and she's one. Things are pretty crazy in the trainer house right now. And Judah came home with more Halloween candy than any kid has ever come home with last Halloween. I mean, he was on cloud nine. I mean, this kid loves candy more than you could possibly imagine. And he was like, Oh, he was living the dream. Halloween is definitely his favorite holiday. And he comes home, and he's got, he's got this huge bag of candy, you guys. I mean, so like hundreds, thousands of pieces of candy. And every night at dinner, if you eat, if you eat enough, then you, know, you get a piece of candy. It's kind of how it works in our house. It's the way we bribe our children to eat. And if you judge me, well, then that's your fault. Don't judge. Um, so Judah gets in this habit of, of bringing the whole bag out. And then he gets to pick one candy each night to eat after he has his dinner. And so I'm messing with him a little bit. And I said, hey, Judah, I'm going to eat all your candy. And he goes, no! And I said, oh, I'm going to eat all your candy, buddy. And he screams, no! Like he loves his candy so, so much. So finally I said, Judah, please, can I just... I'm just, I really want some candy too. And he looks at me, he's two years old. He looks at me and goes, one. And I said, Judah, can I have three? One. Judah, how many can I have? One. He keeps doing this thing, putting out one finger, one. 
And the conversation was lost on him because he's two years old. But I, I, I went into this conversation with my two-year-old son. I said, Judah, do you know that if I wanted to, I could take the whole bag and I could put it in the trash. I could take it all away. He was not thrilled with this part of the conversation. But I could have. Like, as his, I mean, I'm the owner. I'm the, I'm, I own the house. Like, I'm your dad. And I'm the giver of all candy. Like, at this point, like, it all is in my hands. I mean, you think it's yours, but let's be honest. It's in my pantry. Right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge here. You think you're in charge going, one. It's like, ah, come on. And, Judah, not only could I go and take all this candy and put it in the trash, I could go to Giant Eagle and I could buy every single piece of candy in the store. It would probably cost me a couple thousand dollars, but I could do it. I could buy every single piece of candy and I could give you a hundred of them right now. And Judah doesn't understand that. He's two and he's going one. And I just think maybe we do that. At least I just know that sometimes I do that. When God puts it on my heart to give a lot, to give generously to my church, to a church's building program, to a missionary, to a charity. God puts it like a big amount, like a like that's a lot of money. And I go, one, as if it's mine. It's like he's in charge. He could take it all the way in an instant. Or he could make me win back some million. The reason why I'm not sure if I want to win Vaximilian is because it'd be really hard for me to get to the pinch point with Vaximilian. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you gave me a million bucks, like, I could, I could give away 900000 and still, I don't know, maybe I'd hit the pinch point. There. I don't know. It's just a lot of money. And I want to take every dollar that I get and honor God with it. I, I want to I redistribute it to... to help the kingdom of God to grow. And so it's worth considering tonight. What does your credit card statement, what does where your treasure is going to, what does that reveal about your heart? And where it's at, what you love the most. Here's a last thought. You know, I have this thought, maybe you do too, but almost like, 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 what gives God the right to ask for so much? A little bit. You know, like, from time to time, I think that. Like, what gives him the right to ask for all of my heart, all of my, this money that I earn, whatever. And it's like, the reason that he gets to ask for all of it is because he gave all of it. Like, he gave all of his life. Sneak preview. In Matthew 24, 25, and 26, you'll be there in, like, 2036 or something like that. Jesus is going to raise his hand and say, I will die for their sins. I will bless their life. I will give them the forgiveness of their sins. I will go to the cross for them. And he gives it all. He gives it all. And so in a response to his generosity and him giving it all, it just makes sense that you and I would hold loosely to these things of earth that will grow strangely dim. And, and we just give back to the work of God more than we ever have before. I want to challenge you this week to think about that. What would it look like for me to get to the pinch point? And try it. Just try it. I know that on the back end you will go, what took me so long? 
it was so good for my heart to give it away. Do y'all have communion with you in your, with where you're at? It's perfect. Um, will you grab one of those and throw it to me? This is a big moment. No, 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 no. I want him to throw it. This is a big moment for you. You're getting married, and I just, oh, oh! I know that, uh, I, I, I didn't know that y'all take communion every week. I love that so much. Did you know that in the first few hundred years of church, that maybe there was going to be a sermon, maybe there'd be some songs, but there definitely would be communion. Like this was the centerpiece of every church gathering. There was, a, there was an, an Indian pastor who was having this conversation with this American pastor. I heard about this just last week. And he said, uh, the Indian pastor from India said, uh, said, you Americans are funny. And the American pastor said, well, what do you mean? He said, you guys, if you guys have a well-known speaker or a good band, everybody gets all excited. But in India, when we have communion, everybody comes to church. When we hear that there's communion. And I was like, man, he's right. Like if I heard Maverick City Music or Francis Chan was in town, I'm like... <laughs> I'm canceling whatever else I have going on. I'm going to that. But if I hear that there's communion, I'm like, ah, I'll get it next week. You know? And I thought, you know, which one does God look down on? Which one honors him more? The people that flock to the band or the speaker or the people that want to remember what Christ did? I just think God looks at both of those and goes, this one honors me so much. I just want to commend your church for doing this every week. When I take communion, I try to do three things as I'm doing it. The first thing I try to do is I, I look back. I look back, I, 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 I reflect, so I think about the life of Jesus, and I think about my own life and maybe ways in which I've wandered. I, I take 30 seconds for a minute, and I, and I look back. And then the second thing I do is I look around, and I remind myself that I'm not the only one that needs this, that I have a church family, and I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's discouraged. I'm not the only one who's tired. I'm not the only one who's sinned. These people all need this too. And then the third thing I do is I look ahead. I think about this marriage supper at the Lamb. This will not fill me up. It's like styrofoam and old juice. This will not fill me up. It is a taste. It is supposed to almost even make me hungrier for what is to come. In Revelation 19, this marriage supper of the Lamb, and I remind myself that there's a plate, a, a knife, a spoon, a fork, and, and my name, I've got dinner reservations in heaven. That's crazy. So I look back, I look around, I look ahead, and then I take communion. So as Nick plays a little bit and the band comes up and we're going to sing, take two minutes and try it. Look back, look around, look ahead. Take communion, and then we'll sing. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.